It's time to go around the courts with Sean Fuster on 5AA Breakfast. 23 to 8. It's got an exciting announcement to make, does Sean, but we'll do that at the end of the segment. So make sure you stay listening. He's live in the studio. You can watch along in the Foodland Supermarkets Facebook and YouTube live stream as well. Topical case this one, given some of the conversation we've been having this morning. Sean, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Yeah, look, the timing couldn't be better in some ways. We're dealing with an El Nino on its way. Bushfire season is approaching. Always a terrible time for South Australia. Always a concerning time. But it's even worse when, allegedly, and according to prosecutors, someone is setting fires deliberately. And worse again when, according to the evidence we heard yesterday, that person is a veteran of the CFS. Hmm. We're talking about Gregory John McGannon. This is a trial that's going on in the district court right now before a jury and Judge Emily Telford. It's been going on for a little while. Greg McGannon is accused of, you guys remember the Cherry Hill Bush, Cherry Gardens bushfires? Mm. Terrible things. Seven different fires he's alleged to have lit, driving from the beach up through the hills and around. The allegation is that the coppers caught him lighting the seventh fire seconds after he lit it that he tore off away from it. There was a bit of a high-speed chase for about four kilometres. Yesterday in court, we got to see the police body cam footage of the moment they pulled him over. Oh, really? They pull him over, and he opens the door, and the very first thing he says is, I'm with the CFS. I was trying to stamp it out. Yeah, right. Which from is that, that point. That forms the basis of his defence to this day, does it not? Basis of his defence, he says, I was not the person that lit the fires. I saw the guy who lit the fires. He doesn't say guy, but, you know, words that we don't use on radio. Uh... I saw him, it wasn't me, I didn't light anything, and they're saying to him, just just calm down, just sit down, just want to get your name and your details. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. No, I didn't light anything. I've been with the, I did the right thing. I've been with the CFS for 30 years. I did the right thing. So did he give his name? Yeah, it wouldn't give his name. Yeah, right. They had to get his name from his driver's license. According to the prosecution, he'd laid a blow point one four five. Oh, really? A couple of white bottles of wine in the car, a half-full wine glass in the centre console. He was driving his mum's car. And according to the wine police, glass. wine glass, half full wine glass, coppers say that according to uh, their visual, on the back of the license plate, someone had scratched out with a texter, filled in the numbers. So someone the license had. plate was well, on. Someone had. Someone had. Mm. They're saying it's him because they reckon they found a texter in the car and another texter in the back. Did Two they find any? Lighters. Was there any uh, sort of ignition material? On his possession? Two cigarette lighters, and according to the police officers that saw him setting, uh, allegedly setting the final fire, it was set in about 30 centimetre high grass, about a metre off the road shoulder up in the hills. So the, the, the footage that was released in court yesterday was simply the arrest, it wasn't observing him interacting with the fire? No, no. The interaction with the fire is only from the eyewitness account. As mm. the police officer explained it, he was in the passenger seat, they're driving, his partner's driving the car at the car- time, they're looking for a fire bug because there are six other fires going on at this point. He looks out the window, sees this guy rushing to get in his car, described him as sweaty-faced, uh, beer-bellied, and shirtless. Sees him jumping in the car and take off at speed, and a second later there's a flash as he describes it, and then the flames shoot up about a metre high. He didn't have his shirt on. Didn't have his shirt on. Jeez, he would have been quite the sight with his little right L glass in his dashboard console having a cheeky semi on running around topless. Yeah, apparently been drinking down at the Brighton Hotel area beforehand, the Mosley Bar and Kitchen, and uh, yeah. So the allegation is, of course, dangerous driving mm. to escape a police pursuit and seven counts of arson. The jury got to view all the different scenes. McGannon went along on that view, so you can see those photographs on advertiser.com.au where at the moment in the process of getting the video from the, pol- uh, from the court, so you should be able to see that later today as well. 
it's a, a really fascinating case because on the one hand, you have this what seemed like a complete lock of allegations, eyewitness accounts, mm. experts coming in talking about the fact that all the fires were set in the same way around the same time. And on the other hand, you just have this steadfast denial and this insistence that there is no proof that McGannon is the man who lit them. Well, uh, we haven't heard from him, him yet, so obviously, yeah. you know, innocent or proven guilty, of and course. he might have an innocent explanation for everything. What I would say, though, is, is, and this is based on the fact that allegations like these are being made again, you feel for all the CFS blokes and women who volunteer. Absolutely. And when, when the small percentage of weirdos come along, and I'm not saying he is a weirdo, I'm just saying he's accused of doing weird stuff, uh, it must just make their hearts sing. Mm. Yeah. Can he... Can he be found guilty of an individual charge, or, or are they all tied together? Are these all separate charges, each fire? Each fire is a separate charge, so yes, okay. can be found guilty. There could be a system where they can, the jury could potentially say, look, we think that the proof is definitely there for fire number three, but it's not there for fires okay. two and number four. What's the, um, what's the, uh, the maximum sentence for something like this? Maximum for arson's life. Wow. Now, nobody has ever yet received life because, as we know, in South Australia, you always reserve the maximum penalty for the worst possible offence, and that's kind of like a Powderfinger song. You know, it's the day that never comes. Nobody ever gets that maximum, but that is what he's facing. It's a very serious charge. You get put on that register, too, where the cops go and knock on your door on hot northerly days and Operation, say... Operation... What's that one called? I can't think. Uh, yeah, they do it on hot days. Did No. No, it's... I'm not sure. We'll, yeah. ask, we'll ask the commissioner. Well, he's coming up a little bit later. Um, yeah, so I, I would assume in the in the suite of things you can do arson-related, deliberately lighting bushfires would be right up there. There's been a few over the years. I remember years ago there was a woman who was found guilty of driving through the hills lighting mosquito coils and chucking them out the window, and she'd just been chucking them. There's someone once upon a time that I covered that was lighting toilet rolls and throwing them out the window. Mm. There's a guy who set fire to a church because the bats in the roof were giving him beans and keeping him up at night. Oh, that, that woman you mentioned, Sean, I'm, I'm not sure if she was the same one, but there was a brilliant feature years ago in the Saturday magazine that Penny DeBell did that's where the one. she interviewed her. That's the one. And it was this sort of surrogate attention-seeking behaviour for all of the sort of um, the sense that the woman had of not being paid attention in the life. Like, I'm right. not trying to sound like a defence lawyer here, but... There is always some form of psychology behind human behaviour. When people are and convicted of arson, there is always a psychological component. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so hard to relate to. Yeah. It, and look, it's a sad situation because no matter how much empathy or sympathy you may feel for a person's reasoning, at the end of the day, hundreds of thousands of lives, properties, animals well, are being put at risk. Completely. And you've got to put your sympathies that way, you know? It, oh, sure, you're having a bad day. But at the end of the day, are you responsible to, you know, stopping this from happening to everybody oh, else? Well, this is this is where there needs to be more innate heartlessness in the in the law. Because <laughs> seriously, <laughs> well, okay, just briefly, I'm not laughing at you. I just but, like the way you phrased that. But okay, let's look at the case at the Australian National University this week. Yeah. Where this poor screwed up bloke has entered the campus. He stabbed two young women, age 20. One's in a critical condition. Um, he randomly went onto the campus, started stabbing people. Now, less than five years ago, or to be exact, in 2017, he attacked his entire statistics class yeah. while he was at university um, with, a, with a, a, I think it was a bat, a baseball bat. Mm. 
He faced five charges of, of attempted murder, five. And he was acquitted of all five on grounds of being mentally unfit, like an mm. insanity defence. Now, the guy's clearly screwed up. But the alter- so the, 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 the solution has to be you keep paying the utmost attention to him. You know, if he doesn't go to jail, he goes to the equivalent of like yeah. their James Nash house and he that's stays right. there for a bloody long time. I don't think that's innate heartlessness. I, I think if you just if you shift the focus from the perpetrator to the potential victims to protecting society, if you said the courts have a, a greater responsibility to preventing f- f- further harm, I think you'd start getting more satisfactory outcomes in cases what? like that one. And, and, that's, that, that and it's about really what's seems the best sh- way to prevent that harm. Is the best way to prevent harm to lock someone up or is the best way to prevent harm, as you say, to put them in a facility where mm. they can be looked after? I think of Jaden Lower. You know, Jaden Lower is going to be floridly psychotic for the rest of his life after killing Michelle Foster. He f- killed her. He was found not guilty by reason of mental incompetence. But he is, as we've talked about on Just Lawful, medication resistant. He will never be sane. And mm. that's a tragedy because he's only in his 20s. He's been psychotic since he was 12. Yeah. It's not his fault that he wasn't being looked after well enough. He turned up at the hospital, tried to get committed. He said, I'm going to kill someone if you don't commit me. The hospital didn't act fast enough. That's why we've got a coronial inquest. Mm. So this is where you look at cases like that, and it's not like a bunting or a von Einem. You look no. at a case like that, and you think, you can't hate this person because they're, they're, they're sick in the same way that someone with cancer is sick. Mm. Absolutely. But equally, you don't... The, but the end result isn't... You, sh- you go, well, let's just shrug our shoulders and cross our fingers That's and go, right. and let's just leave them wandering again. around and yeah. not put the same argument forward in the context of arson. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, now, Sean, before we let you go, you've got some exciting news for people who want to see you in the flesh. That's right. Just Lawful Live, November 1st, Norwood Concert Hall. Tickets go on sale now. As we speak, Humanitix is the place to get your tickets. Please come along and see myself and Daniel. It's a brand new interactive 90-minute show where we're going to present you with a case that we've never talked about before on this segment or on JL, and we're going to prompt you as you're there talk to you about what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and let's see what you come up with when you're the ones answering the questions instead of me. Excellent. Yeah. If you're, interested, great. If you're interested in the law and you're interested in learning more about how it works, I can't imagine a better experience. Good on you, Sean. Thanks, guys. Um, Just Lawful this Sunday. Just Lawful this Sunday. And the live show, I've got to say, sponsored by City of Norwood, Payne St. Peter's, everyone here at 5AA, and part proceeds going to the Zara Foundation, which is a fantastic, fantastic charity. Yeah. Great charity. That's We're big supporters news. of Zara. And it was Operation Nomad. It is, a, it is. It is. No my apologies. I was right. I jagged it. Uh, all right. Let's. Uh, I'm like the. Uh, you sit the chimp in front of the typewriter long enough, it'll eventually write a Shakespearean sonnet. <laughs> the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> <laughs> David Pemberthy and Will Goodings, six to nine, five double A breakfast.